I like to challenge myself. It keeps it interesting for me as well. And, and like before, like why, why would I choose one technique over the other? Why would I limit myself? But I'm always trying to up the scale and up the complexity. Studio Noise, special print Austin edition of Studio Noise Podcast. It's your boy, Jay Barber. Today, I'm the voice of printmaking. Once a year, I get to go full out print nerd. Thanks to the good folks at Print Austin. If you're not familiar, you should be. Print Austin is a month-long celebration showcasing traditional and modern printmaking. and includes the Contemporary Print Jurid Exhibition. This year, jurid by Studio Noise fam. Rashawn Rocker, my man out of Detroit. What's up, big dog? The pictures look fantastic. The amazing prints always in that show. And the Print Expo, the, the annual print fair on February 10th through the 12th. That's, that's this weekend if you're listening. And it's always a good time. You'll love it. If you love printmaking, it's a must-see event to put on your calendar every year. It's annual. So go over to printaustin.org and learn more about the events. Uh, Learn how to become a part of this great print community because it's really a celebration of the things that we love. We love the ink. We love the paper, all that good stuff, that good stuff. That's what I'm talking about. And today we're talking with Miles Calvert, one of the amazing printmakers selected in the print Austin 5x5. Miles is assistant professor at Winthrop University in South Carolina. He uses damn near all, damn near all the print processes. (laughs) If you check his website and he's exploring the power of household objects. His work is technical and explores the limits of technology and color, the multiple, all the stuff that printmaking can do so great. And he puts it all together. They're phenomenal prints. And we get into all that. Plus, we talk about AI, art versus printmaking, going out to residencies, teaching philosophies, all that good art talk that you used to having on the noise. We got it right here, baby. And after the break, we got Miles Calvert talking printmaking. That good art talk is the noise. Yes. Hello, I'm Grace Kisa. I'm a mixed media artist based here in Atlanta, and you're listening to Studio Noise. Yes, it's your boy Jay Barber back with you today. Studio Noise is the voice of printmaking. You know, every once in a while I get to dive all the way in, and I'm here with one of the Print Austin 5x5 artists, Mr. Miles Covert on the on the podcast with us how you doing man i'm really well thanks for having me looking forward yeah man it's great to talk to you man getting to see some of your work man it's one of those things where uh if you love printmaking like you see your work and you see all the little technique stuff in there and like you're doing everything from copper plates and screen prints wood blocks man you do it all man now, tell a little bit about yourself and how you got started with the print media man i i've been doing print um ever since my undergraduate um, degree in art, University of Guelph in Ontario, just outside of Toronto. Got hooked onto printmaking through having um, one or two really strong print professors who just pushed and pushed and encouraged. And then I was very lucky. Um, I got to do a semester abroad, went to the UK, and all the free galleries and free exhibitions mm-hmm. and print specific exhibitions, um, their attention to works on paper in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, contemporary scene really kind of fueled what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So I think that really got me sunk into it. And then I narrowed down, focused, went to Camberwell College because this lovely lady at a residency said, hey, this place is in London. You like London. It focuses <laughs> on printmaking. Went back and did my master's there. And then I stayed for a total of five years, just working in galleries, worked at the National Portrait Gallery for a while, Moved down to the coast, worked at the Jerwood Contemporary Gallery, um, taught at the college down there just because I needed some money. <laughs> <laughs> and fell into the whole, maybe I enjoy teaching as well yeah. in, in print. Yeah. And, and that means I have to have, be fairly knowledgeable about a majority of the processes. Yeah. So that keeps me on my toes. 
Yeah. Now, fairly, fairly knowledgeable is kind of an understatement uh, when it comes to like looking at your work, man. This uh, is it, absolutely fantastic, especially when I look at I'm always fascinated by the range that people can have to do a process like relief, which is just carving and printing the surface and then switching to a process like aquatint, which involves like a lot more. Uh, technical stuff in it and dip it in the acid and staging and all this other kind of stuff. Uh, and so do you, do you have a feeling of what the different mediums are offering you and in comparison to one another? Like when you have a certain project, do you see it more as like, this is going to be aquatint, but I know you mix processes too, but like start with the basics. Yeah, 100%. Like if I'm trying to think, what do I want to achieve with this print and what is the best technique for it? Is it going to be something flat, fast, lots of multiples, graphic and punchy colors? Maybe it's a screen print. You know, mm. maybe I'm adding something fire to make it a little more exciting for me. Because yeah, we can whip out screen prints left and right, but I want to push it a little more. So I want to modify the ink. I want to do a different surface. Um, I want to do a full bleed and tear it down and modify it. You know, some way. But this is the question I always go back to. Why am I choosing that exact um, method? Do I want to have it embossed? Do I have to do the um, the oil before the acrylic, et cetera, et cetera? So the whole planning process is really geeky and printmaking yeah. and intense. And I get excited by that because I want to figure out the technical aspects and the foreseeable problems early. Mm -hmm. So, and I think... When I'm teaching multiple classes, I get to refresh myself as I'm refreshing my students as we go forward. And their questions inspire me to try something different every time. Mm -hmm. And if I didn't have that, hey, you're forced to teach this class this semester, <laughs> I may not touch the process for a year or two. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, it, and I, I describe it almost like for people that like to do Sudoku puzzles. Like that's what oh, printmaking is like. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> that's what printmaking is like. You gotta try to like figure out like all these different ways of like processing it to get the answer. Um, but that's yeah. that's the, but that's the, like that that way that it activates like that back part of your mind that keep you thinking. Like even when you like put it down and walk away from it, you still like trying to figure out subconsciously. Like yeah, nah, nah, this didn't work. Like um, what if I do you know such and such and such such you know. And I think we're like, we're kind of masters at that yeah. because we we're multitaskers of whatever generation we're part of because we're, we're watching something after having dinner <laughs> and in the back of my mind, I'm like, that's what I should have done to emboss that print better. Right. Or why the heck didn't I X, Y, Z? And uh, it, it just seems to come together. Like my hotspot for getting, it's going to sound ridiculous already, my hotspot for getting either inspiration um, color solutions or technique solutions are stupid o'clock, 6.15 in the morning, in the shower. Oh, man. Yo, that, yo, that's my bag, too, man. First thing in the morning, get in the shower. It's like, yo, I figured the whole thing out. Like, <laughs> it all comes together. <laughs> 17 new prints, ready to go. Yeah. But if I don't down or sketch it out, it is gone <laughs> until the morning. Yeah. Nah, that's that is spot on right there. I'm sure I'm sure somebody listening out there know what we talk about. Like know that feeling, man. <laughs> <laughs> like I gotta get to a piece of paper real quick, like afterwards. Or else it's like yeah. gone, dripping wet, dripping water everywhere. Stop the coffee, do not stop for the coffee. There's no time, get it down. And then I'll kick myself for the entire day. What was I thinking in that moment? And that happens to me all the time. Yeah. So um I need to work on that. <laughs> man, that's how it go. And so are you somehow surprised at how fluidly the processes can go together? Because like a lot of stuff that you're doing is, you know, you're doing like Shinkole and, and multi-block laser cuts and, and lithography and with, uh, you know, copper plate. It's all over. Like it's, I like to challenge myself. Um, it keeps it interesting for me as well and and like before like why why would i choose one technique over the other why would i limit myself um and they're not perfect and i think maybe i hide the imperfections or or work around them mm -hmm. so they're not seen as much um but i'm always trying to up the scale and up the complexity and that's maybe through layers i've got some prints which are 
unresolved that just sit in a flat file until the next residency or the next opportunity have more than one day in the print studio, like the little span. And I feel like that's a really uh, generous and what's the word I'm looking for? Um, privileged way of working. Yeah. Like I'm not pressured to have to pump something out because it's due next Friday. Right. Right. And sit on some things. And that's such a natural way of working, which is such a privilege to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it gives you a lot of time to like let ideas develop. Yeah, so I'm I'm just off of three hot months, just over three hot months of being the artist in residence at the McCall Center in Charlotte, yeah. where that's exactly what I was able to do: spread everything out, have space, have a flat file of you know meticulously labeled drawers mm-hmm. of finished works in progress. If I have a clean studio, an organized studio, I can whip out a thousand pieces. <laughs> it's, it seems to work better that way. Yeah. Um, but having things like in the corner of the studio sitting and just waiting for that right day where the coffee kicks in at a weird time, um, I can make something that I'm really happy with. Mm-hmm. So I was able to develop some really uh, happy etchings that I'm, I'm quite satisfied with. And two of those are in um, the 5 by 5 exhibition in Austin right now. So something worked. <laughs> Obviously, yeah. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> so when I look at your prints, um, the one thing I notice is kind of the uh, affinity for objects that you have. Like yeah. these kind of like household objects, like either a vase or a toaster or um, something like that. Like just we'll start from the beginning, like right there. Like what's your fascination with these kind of household objects and what yeah, kind of really power weird. you think they hold? It's really weird. I, I enjoy objects that are universally recognizable. So I could be anywhere and someone will recognize what it is. So that might be a pair of scissors, a vessel, a wooden spoon. There's a type of comfort to them. There's also a type of um, a mundane aspect to these household objects because they're affordable, they serve a basic purpose, but they also come in different shapes and sizes and colors and price ranges. Mm-hmm. And I like the idea of taking them outside of um, a price range that is even necessary. So from something utilitarian to over-the-top, opulent, one of the words I used in my thesis for my master's was a totally made-up word, nobody questioned me on it, and it was blingification. <laughs> anti and the opulence and you know you know put it in gold yeah (laughs) and way before way before people like damien hurst were doing his for the love of god um diamond encrusted platinum skull right like i was so before that where was my time (laughs) (laughs) so there's there's weird interest for me in in the vessel forms because they're so um they're so old mm. and they're so basic purpose, but they're also sexy because they have like form and symmetry to them. And the ones that are lopsided become really more interesting as well. Mm-hmm. And the ones that are in the in the exhibition, um, they're photographs based on Blue Mountain Pottery, which is in Collingwood, Ontario, my hometown. I want to say it shut down 30 years ago. And they're just basic simple forms. So what I'm doing is taking them back to an even more simple form into a line drawing, trying to reduce, 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 but still keep the opulence and interest of the shape. Mm-hmm. Which I hope it's coming through because in the etchings, they're maybe one-to-one ratio or a little bit smaller. I have intentions of making them more grand in terms of scale down the road. So these were happy little technology-infused um, things I stumbled upon during that time of dedicating brain space mm-hmm. to a project. Yeah, yeah. In some of my uh, newer work that I'm doing, I've, I haven't showed it yet, so it's weird to talk about it. But I, yeah. um, there was a there's a, a potter, uh, Dave the Potter, that was a slave in South Carolina, matter of fact, and he made. Uh-huh. Um, a lot of vessels and he was one of the few slaves that were able to sign his name on it. 
And so that's the only reason we know who he is. And so I've started using that form because I was looking for, uh, I use a lot of African um, symbology objects inside of my work and patterning and stuff like that sometimes. So I was thinking about what is a uniquely American like symbol or object. And I came across Dave Potter like a few years ago and it's been on my mind. So I just started incorporating those forms. What kind of vessels are they? Uh, they were they were like uh I'm not sure what you would call them, but they water jugs and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah like a basic utilitarian stuff, like slaves, you just making, yeah. you know, stuff to carry buckets of water and stuff like that. Um, but it, when you talk about what these objects can mean, I see his work when I use it and examine it as uh, uh, talking about invisible labor and like how yeah. the people that made these objects that were used daily, the cups, the the vessels, the pitchers, the, all this stuff were slaves, not acknowledged for who they are or their craftsmanship. Because, you know, you look at some of these Dave DePauta stuff in museums now, like it's fantastic yeah. work that. Well, look, who's getting all the attention now from making um, ceramics is people like Seth Rogen. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> blows my mind. Yeah. Yes, they're very interesting. <laughs> but yeah, but that's the, that's the thing. It's like, who gets acknowledged for like the simple things that they're doing? And like a lot of the invisible labor, which is to me is the foundation of America. And in a lot of ways, that never gets really acknowledged, but we kind of accept it as like, this is the thing. And so now, you know, Seth get to go and throw pots and like really get super, <laughs> super famous off it. When there were, you know, people locked in a room, you know, caves chained together doing the exact same thing. And, you know, they kind of get forgotten about a little bit. It would be interesting to see if there's any connections, whether there completely are to, first of all, that red clay mm. from the area. Mm-hmm. And there's the whole Catawba nation down here and all the history of Catawba um Catawba, excuse me um ceramics mm-hmm. um there are scholarships available in this area for people who are specializing in in that that history and there's so many people who aren't doing it there's just kind of money just waiting to be to be used yeah. so if you know anybody <laughs> you know that's that way I'm always helping people find funding. Hey, yeah, that's what's love- up. That's, that's half our life right there. <laughs> Looking for the funding. <laughs> you gotta find it. Yeah. But then, I don't, yeah, but that way is really, it's really exciting and very regional. Yeah. And it is, and I say that because, like, as you started to talk about these objects, they do have a life and a, a, a nostalgia and a history that we uh, either feel in a way, especially when you look at something like an old toaster, right? It's like yeah. you, you've seen a That's new toaster, but you see an old one, you automatically get like visions of your grandma, you know, making toast or something like that. And so it's like it has this whole nostalgia history. Like it's part of that part of like why you use it too. I find it really weird and I'm drawn to it because I want the new one and I always want the new one. I'm that materialistic guy. Give me the copper smeg. <laughs> um, I, want the two slicer, I want the four slicer. And I think a lot of this has to do with... Um, when I was in London, I did spend a lot of time um, working at Selfridges. I worked for Ralph Lauren for a little while. And that whole materialistic retail design world did captivate me for a little bit where I wouldn't even bat an eye if somebody was going to buy a T-shirt for 80 pounds. Wow. <laughs> and now that's insane. That is completely insane. But, but <laughs> quality, design, color theory and people are out there to buy it mm-hmm. and i find that interesting so it's what was the other half of that question <laughs> it's gone, it's gone. It's, i've been in that industry a little a little bit and it did really in, influence my work because i like taking an object and it's all about like romanticism mm, really yeah or your individual ideas and thoughts and interests that come to your individual mind when you look at it and they're going to be so different yeah. compared to the person sitting beside you. Yeah. I find that really cool. Yeah. So if I can print an Ottoman shape in avocado green and someone's going to have a flashback to the 60s and 70s, great. If I have a millennial looking at it and they're thinking about their avocado and toast they had for breakfast, <laughs> great. It's just so... 
different yeah. <laughs> and so interesting from the same piece of work and it sprawls out into these different little streams of thought and that's what i find really fascinating and inside of your prints you also use the multiple uh the idea of multiples a lot inside of it like very simple objects but just repeat it like over and over and over um that's the harder printmaking but tell me why you're fascinated with it yeah, you, you got it. So, you know, the whole point of like mass production, right? Why would you do more? Blah, blah, blah. Age old, age old discussion. Yeah. Um, if there's multiple and they're stacked, I try to uh, alter the opacity of them. So there's a little bit of mystery in terms of foreground, midground, background. Um, what is the most prominent one? Which one should you be focusing on? But there's always something behind it or in front of it for you to consider. So that's kind of my idea of moving through a thought, mm. you know, more of like a journey instead of a bam, this is what it is. Um, the ones that are bam, because there are some, yeah. there are like one, <laughs> just floating <laughs> in the middle of nothingness. That's another nod to like objectifying the object for what the heck it is and nothing more. So if you have a craft, um, like a craftsman who put in so much time to this one bedazzled, individually tacked and hammered, flocked piece of uh, a footstool with sexy carved Queen Anne legs, it deserves to stand on its own. Why would you clutter it with something else? <laughs> mm. There are some pieces mm. that I threw in some romantic rolling hills and landscapes behind them just to really hammer home that idea. And that was, that was all right. <laughs> it was all right. You know, they can't all be. <laughs> yeah. I still like the idea though. I've yet to do it. And maybe this summer it's going to happen when I have some more dedicated time of challenging the landscape for what it is. Like there's, you know, romanticists and landscape painters. They're always challenging the landscape, the landscape. I'm like, okay, fine. I want to give it a go. I find landscapes to be quite boring. So <laughs> I, I want to spice it up with the punchy colors and with some graphic nature and with some just obscured chunks of chincolé and see if I can get the same idea across that I can get with my mundane everyday objects. Oh, man, I'm Canadian uh, landscape artist. Not going to like that at all. <laughs> None of that. That's, uh, well, wasn't how, no. <laughs> no. Tom Thompson. <laughs> no, it's, it's just the majesty and beauty of of the nature, man. Like <laughs> you turn it yeah, into something else. You know, my my brain just kind of bounces too many places. I can't sit there and look at a rock all day. <laughs> Perfectly rendered like a mountain. Like that's not your. That's not your thing. <laughs> you know, I do challenge myself sometimes because I, I question my abilities on a daily basis. It's totally insecurity, but I think it also keeps me on my toes. Where should I sit down and render this glass vase? And <laughs> yeah, and once I do it and stress through it, I'm like, okay, still got it. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Next. <laughs> But you know, but the, even that type of work is different when you're doing screen printing or like copper plate. Like, yeah, you can sit down and struggle through like making a perfect drawing of this ottoman or like yeah. your vases. But like yeah. after that, like that's when the fun starts. Like when you can like really like do Absolutely. so much other stuff. Do you, do you enjoy additioning or you prefer like a series? I, I, I'm, I'm sort of in between. Like, I understand why we make additions. Like, I understand, like, you know, the one of one, one of two, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like, I get it. But, like, I'm I'm sort of like you where I want to explore the medium to see what else we can do. Like, if I make a blue one, after I make one blue one, I don't need to make 50 blue ones. Like, it's kind of like it's over. Like, they, <laughs> I got it in blue. Let me try something else. Like, I, I, I like that idea. And I like layering and, like, mixing mediums, too. And so like, yeah. it's, it's very hard to like precisely have that same gestural kind of tint to every single print and making an addition. And so it kind of falls apart after a while. I know some people that like my man, Rashawn Rucker, he never prints additions. Like he only prints like, may, he might just do a block and print one. 
and yeah. then that's it. You know what I'm saying? Which, yeah. which one, like I got to get on my man Ruck to, you know, do more than one at least. But, <laughs> but like for some people, like that's the thing is like, we get the joy out of like the carving. Like I know I do a lot of woodcuts. So my thing is the carving, like, you know, after I do the carving, yeah. it's kind of like whatever. <laughs> after that. Well, you know, I mean, if you go down the route, like um, Sean Caulfield out of, out of Alberta, who like the block, the inked up block becomes the piece and that's what's installed. I always found that to be really, really interesting. And it makes sense for a big, big, big block where you don't have to deal with the thinness of the paper. Yeah. And then once you put it on a beautiful piece of whatever, uh, Kitakata or Mulberry, mm -hmm. people don't know what to do with a really fragile piece of paper. So it's going to sit around your studio for a while. Yeah. It's going to get damaged in transit. <laughs> and you have the space to pull a Jenny Robinson and back it properly on a thick piece of cotton rag paper. Mm -hmm. uh, I've had that struggle and that conversation multiple times with people coming through my studio saying, well, how, how would I frame it? Or it's so delicate. And yes, everything kind of at that stage should be behind glass of some sort. Yeah. Um, but the block itself is such a sturdy little whack it with some varnish, you know, <laughs> yeah. on, on the wall is a beautiful piece as is. Yeah. The thing, like I, we all want to consider it like a, a relic of a process, but like, it can't be the thing. Yeah. Like I've, I've had a, a little bit of success in taking my wood blocks and making them into constructions. Like I call them constructions. Cause it's like, it's almost like making a cabinet built around a wood block with other objects and kind of stuff that tell a different story. And so the story told and the construction with the woodblock is completely different than the original print was intended to be at all. And so I like that idea too. Like, you know, I've seen people who have recycled um, litho stones and they've put them into the masonry around their fireplaces. Oh, wow. And I'm like, wow, like all the history of rocks plus the image is still on them. I feel sad for the stone never being used again, but maybe they were really thin and they were going to crack. Let's pretend that's okay, the scene. Yeah. But all the images kind of scattered around and plastered, not plastered, cemented into the, into the masonry of the, um, the fireplace. That's interesting too. Yeah, that's fascinating. Or, or I've never, I've never, never seen that, but I can imagine it. I can imagine something because hardcore maker fireplace. <laughs> yeah, that hates lithography. <laughs> yeah, because we have a we have one block. Um, Atlanta Printmaker Studio has this old litho block that had like, uh, uh, like almost Trump lawyer drawing of a of a dollar bill on it. Is it is an is an amazing thing. Oh. Yeah, and I don't, but it's kind of like, but once you have it, it's like, what do you do with it? You know, it's kind of like this huge stone just sitting there. Again, like permission to open it up, print from it again, or is it just a closed up stone? No you one know, touches we it. We don't know who did it. That, you know, it's one of them things where, you know, how community print shops would end up with like presses from, you know, my grandma died and nobody does letterpress anymore. So y'all can have it. It's kind of one of those things where it's like, oh, we got this thing. I think it has something to do with print. Here you go. It's fair game. Yeah. And so it's like, it's no history behind it at all. So it's kind of like. I'm really excited. I'm doing a little swing through. And in two weeks, when I when I drive up to Kentucky, I'm going to swing back down through Atlanta. And I'm hoping to check out your new studio space. Yeah, really that, definitely. No, nah, man, you got to come through. Let me know when you're coming through. Yeah, nice. No, the ribbon cutting. I saw images of it. Yeah, it looks fantastic. Oh man, it's a good time. Good time. We so excited, you know, because <laughs> especially like um, when you're doing art, like printmaking is such a specific community and it's such a, a specific group of people that even get into it. That like yeah. when you're able to like create an organization, a community print shop, and sustain it over 18 years, and get government funding to get you a brand new facility, like. That's a big deal. Often. Yeah, that's a big deal. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, so it's, it's really is an amazing space, amazing opportunity. I'm loving it down there. I'm sorry, teaching the relief printmaking class there. And man, it's, nice. it's such a, it's such a gorgeous space. And especially when you're so used to working like in this dungeon in a warehouse and like all of a sudden you could look outside and, and see the sky. Like it's, <laughs> it's fantastic. And have space to move. Yes, and it's fantastic. Have 
you know, literally uh, 15 minutes ago, I just got out of my 8 a.m. relief printmaking class with 14 students, and we just started printing our first uh, and their first ever, as far as I know, um, woodblock. Mm, nice. So I've got the ink on the fingers <laughs> as we get a little bit. Nice. It all went really, really well. Nah, so, that's nice, man. Yeah. And you at what? Where do you teach at now? Winthrop. I'm at Winthrop University, mm. which is just about half an hour south of Charlotte in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. So I'm just uh, after this semester, it'll be three years. So two years of intense COVID, and ah, then yeah. the third year opening up a little bit. Yeah. I was um, at Alfred University in uh, Western New York for roughly four years as a visiting professor, um, teaching in expanded media there. So amazing facilities, great faculty, great students, 24-7 access in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> um, absolutely loved it. It was used to the snow because um, I'm from Toronto, mm. that area, two hours north of the city of Toronto. So there was even a semester where on Mondays I was teaching at OCAD University, downtown Toronto, three classes back to back, driving four hours, crossing the border. And then teaching at Alfred Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, <laughs> like crossing borders, like a crazy person. But, you know, I always wanted to teach at Ontario College of Art and Design University mm. ever since they rejected my portfolio application for undergrad. <laughs> <laughs> now that I put in that semester, I'm like, I'm good. <laughs> Take that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh man! But, uh, I'm I'm excited to be down here. Um, I haven't gone to the coast as much as I've wanted to. I've been exploring places like Winston Winston Salem, yeah, uh, the Sawtooth Gallery and workshops and print space that they have there has been fantastic. They've got lots of mi- mixer maker spaces where you can access technology like laser engravers and and heat presses and stuff because technology is pretty big for my work. I'm always incorporating an XY plotter, a heat press, mm. um, um, screen printing with varnish to block out my my plates, for example. Um, just trying to push it, try something different, right? Yeah, no, I like that. This is Jennifer Mack Watkins. I'm a printmaker based in New Jersey, and you're listening to Studio Noise. It uh, has an interesting conversation, especially with like so much of this AI art and, and kind of digital stuff like taking over. I always tell people uh, when it comes to printmaking that. Uh, the more we get into these digital process, the more important printmaking is like, because it's kind of that analog feel that we're going to miss. We're going to miss it. Like in the, as, yeah. as human beings, just having like the tactile nature of paper, the smell of the ink, you know what I'm saying? Like as much as computers yeah. can recreate or generate images that simulate embossing, it's not embossed unless you like get in you know, and actually have like the pressure. You know what I mean? The amount of things that, like delay or infuriate me in terms of like processes are usually technology related. Yeah. So if I've got students who are working on a very, very basic hand carved wood block, um, they start for some reason on their iPad and then their problems are, I don't understand how to um, upload it <laughs> or I've been working on it. I'm working at 6 DPI, so now I can't make it big enough to print out, and the printer is not working. And I'm like, just draw on your wood block. What? what? Cut out that middle section, and you can save two days of work yes. by doing that, right? Yes. So um, I, I love it and I hate it at the same time, and I don't know my thoughts yet on AI in terms of artwork creation I think it will assist in some ways and I think it will die off in other ways. Mm. Um, it might inspire a little more weird, a little more uh, creepy, pushy artwork mm-hmm. from the new generations. I don't see it taking over at all. 
Um, but I don't know. And I guess we'll find out really soon. Cause it's kinda- <laughs> yeah, because it's happening like right now. Like, you know, we don't even know what to deal with it, what to do with it yet. Because I, I, in, in a lot of ways, I think it is um, the way we want to lean on technology is not the way we make art. Right. The way we want to lean on technology is, you know, just like we were talking about the toasters. Like, you know, now I want to do six pieces of toast and be able to individually uh, control how brown each piece get like that type of technology is something like utilitarian. That I like use. three and a half. <laughs> you know, I, I when I do my waffles, I, I click it up to four, you know what I'm saying? See if I can. <laughs> but like, so like, that's one way that we use it. But the, the, the meaning of art, like in the way that we actually use it as human beings is for expression. And so having your expression be generated in other ways is not the same as when you actually do it yourself. And so the release that actually makes people keep making art is the is some ways you can't recreate it just by like typing in like certain things to the computer. It might be it might be kind of cool. It's always going to be what what do you do with it next? So you use AI to generate it, mm-hmm. and you print it out as a, a gicle air quote fancy dancy digital print. Yeah. Cool. I'm done though. Like I'm getting <laughs> no love on that flat surface. I'm getting even if I'm printing on a beautiful quality of paper with beautiful archival inkjet, you know, seventeen different blacks that get printed <laughs> out on it, grays all over the place, um, with a glossy hit to finish it all off. I'm still getting minimal staying viewing power yeah. for that. Yes, yeah. I'm getting. Um, I'm not getting the viscosity of the oil-based pigment. I'm not getting a deckle edge. Maybe I am. Who knows? But it's a fake one now. <laughs> uh, Quote unquote deckle. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> yeah. It's um. It doesn't have lasting visual power for me. And I talk about this all the time when I try to generate my images. I could do something wild and crazy, but does it have like that classic staying? power mm-hmm. do i want to look at it put it on my wall for a long period of time or is it a a piece that's going to be recycled and forgotten tomorrow yeah and most of most of that stuff is because it's too easy to generate like you didn't have to it's, work to do it like that's why we like love the kind of statue of david like it's amazing like a man a man took a piece of marble in a in a chisel and he made this thing like it's like it's the accomplishment of it is different and so you know Absolutely. whenever something's like too quick come too quick and too easy for you you don't appreciate it because you didn't work like hard enough to do it and that's always going to be a big concern for us like it's it's and the hand skills like if you can't render that by hand you can't rely on technology to always do it for you because you're never going to have your own personal feeling personal mark making Mm -hmm. insight that sets you aside all the ai work is going to start looking like um a factory line <laughs> exactly until they start stealing other other artists work and then try to add it but <laughs> but the, which i guess is kind of funny because it relates back to the original purpose of screen print exactly. <laughs> oh a big explosion in the head <laughs> the crazy history of oh, no. <laughs> but yeah but uh, you know that that's that's the case right where it's like you gotta it, there's a reason why we still like to this day draw on stones or you know carve wood oh, yeah. and ink it up like you know it's not it, it's in the inherent nature of the hand and the process working together is the is what makes it special so if you like even if you generate it it's not the same you know what i'm saying like most of the you time know, and, and I'll, I'll stop harping on about students because this is all about me now <laughs> is that the design students who take the fine art classes they zone out and they get so excited because they're off a tablet, they're off their MacBooks, mm-hmm. and they're they're doing something tangible. And um, they calm down, they slow down, and they make way more thoughtful and interesting work. So there has to be a nice pairing between the two. Yeah. So I, I do a combination of sketching and a combination of like color planning on on like Photoshop or um, Procreate or whatever. But whatever I do, I'm always coming back to 
little tiny sticky notes that have my dimensions and my white space yeah. planned out or full bleed or the step by step by step by step before I come back and execute. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and like, even with all that, like you still have to respond to the object. Like the, the copper itself is still like a thing that you have to deal with, <laughs> like right in front of you. Humidity, oxidation, yeah. um, viscosity of the ink, uh, the brand of the ink, uh, the temperature of the day, your mood that day, mm. how fresh that water is. Like it's just little things that you don't know until you've pumped out 300 prints before. Yeah. 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 And then you, then you might be able to start to understand <laughs> what you do it. <laughs> like on your objects, when you do find your, your, these objects that you do, cause I think about like this kind of really, really fancy ottoman that you found, like, how do you source your imagery? Like, are you, are you going out thrifting and, or is it kind of, it kind of depends. Like I will do a combination. I'll photograph some that are owned by other people. I'll photograph one or two that I have. I'll go out to the web and make some my own. Absolutely. I'll acquire them, edit them, flip them, change their colors, delete aspects, add aspects. I'm all for free image appropriation. As long as you're taking out of it out of context, changing the color, changing the scale, making it your own. Mm -hmm. Yep. So especially for some of those Ottomans are Ikea's. Oh, really? And you not know because they're printed in colors that are not trendy <laughs> right <laughs> or not one color right so but i do find that interesting as well how they brand and promote and manipulate us into color choices for each year mm -hmm. is kind of maybe another discussion but color is really important for all the work that i do um it relates back to the romanticism but yeah, I do scour the web for, for interesting source imagery as well. Nah, that, that's fascinating. It's always interesting, like what, it, what like gets you going. Like when you see it, it's kind of yeah. like, I know it when I see it, like you just go searching <laughs> and try that's to find it. some. And, and I do, I love going to um, fancy showrooms and like my, probably one of my face, favorite places to go for, and this is going to sound ridiculous for, for inspiration. And I haven't been in a few years. If you go to the women's shoe department of Selfridges, Oxford street in London. <laughs> so <laughs> That's very specific. They redesign very, very, very specific. And it's just one example of places. It's, um, it's huge. First of all. And each designer, they kind of rebuilt their space based on that designer's apartment. So you've got Louis Vuitton, and all the Louis Vuitton shoe section is based off of his apartment in France, for example. And then you've got like um, Chanel. So it's another little, but based off of their living environments. Mm, mm -hmm. So one might have glass tables and be minimalist. One might be um, like Miyaki, where there's crazy colors and neon all over the place and splattered paint in some, some sections. So having like a really tailored viewing experience and then a featured item, it takes it, a, it makes it like an object, mm. like one single sexy object, which is desirable. And they're staging and they're elaborate, you know, refurbishing just to feature that one thing works for how I like um, thinking of how I plan my work, <laughs> which is nuts. Yeah. So like where, where else would I go? Like I go to the Christie's showroom and be like, okay, how are they presenting their works? How are they spotlighting things? Mm -hmm. What's under glass? What's not? Um, what has a whole wall to itself? Why? Uh, it's 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 staging. It's like kind of design manipulation for the brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's that advanced marketing. <laughs> All those yeah. years of like retail trauma that everyone <laughs> through for at least a year of their lives completely played a really big part on how I see image generation. Tell me about like your recent show, Surface Appeal. Um, that was at the York County Arts Council here in Rock Hill. Great opportunity to um, exhibit and kind of show locally, like 
I'm the new guy in town, the new printmaking professor. They haven't had one here in about four years. They had adjuncts mm. kind of floating in and mm-hmm. out. Um, they had really high ceilings in that gallery space. And I was eager to interact with that space through tapestries. So what I usually do for any residency, any job as a traveling professor, which I appear to be, um, I take advantage of what's available locally. So the South and its rich textile history, which I'm sure you're aware oh, yeah. of, and most of you probably are, right? Yeah. There's things creative down here. And they had, I, I can't give you all the details because I can't remember dates to save my life, but they would do their, their cotton textile production here. Most of it was outsourced abroad. Now it's all coming back. So the Baxter Mill archive as well, they've got repeat patterns and tapestry samples that were all produced here from the late 1800s. They've got big um, uh, contracts now for like Frozen, um, Disney, Marvel, Walmart comes and shops through their, their archive to then scan. And it's just, it blows my mind. So every opportunity I can to go in there to dig through the archives to find interesting patterns um, that interest me, I go in, I get to you know ask if I can use them, manipulate them further, scan them, change their color, change their scale, and then incorporate my imagery into them. So I'm tapping into local resources. Mm. They do sublimation, uh, direct-to-garment printing there. So they were very generous enough to print those large um, textile pieces for me for that exhibition. And they were also on display at the McCall. And now they're in a nice little tube sitting beside my (laughs) waiting for an opportunity, right? I like the idea of working with um, works on fabric because I would like to make some sculptural prints down the road. Yeah. Uh, That's... Like, you know, I don't want to say Oldenburg style sculptures, but a really slumpy vessel is <laughs> really of interest to me for some reason. Um, so we'll see if that manifests itself in the near future or not. Um, I was first introduced to sublimation printing, like that whole solid to a gas to a solid blow my mind yeah. chemistry whatever that is, um, process when I was working at Alfred University, one of their alumni who works in the wall furnishings, wallpaper industry donated a gigantic heat press and a Mamaki dye sublimation printer. So I was able to experiment and try things on fabric, any polyester primed surface. So again, bringing this technology into my practice really gets me going. It's interesting. Because if you're going to sublimate onto a polyester surface, you can get a saturated color that you can't get on paper mm. because of the finish. Mm. So that takes it to another hue gamut level, which you don't see a lot of. And I'm like, okay, technology, changing how we <laughs> see color, totally interested in that. We've become like the mantis shrimp. Yeah. And we're seeing way more colors than we're meant to be seeing. <laughs> It gets me obviously going a little bit, but I would take like a polyester uh, liquid paint over top of the the cotton rag paper that we really love, like a a thick Arches watercolor or a um, Arches 88, Fabriano, whatever, but priming it in polyester and then sublimating a digital image onto that lovely paper that you can't always feed through a digital printer and then getting way more of a pop of color, it's doing something. Yeah. Yeah. Man, look at that. I like that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Started screen printing with the polyester, right? So that you have um, confined intentional shapes that you can then addition <laughs> if you really want. <laughs> if you're into that kind of thing, you know, whatever. <laughs> if you're into that kind of thing, I don't know. I think the only, the only issue. And I wrote like an article for it that got published in um, the California Printmakers Magazine, I think two years ago. 
talking about this, but the only thing that I'm worried about is the like longevity of these pieces. Mm, so yeah. sublimated, I did the whole test of sticking it in the window for, for a summer and you know, what colors are going to fade first and what happens if I do a coating of a UV liquid and I, whatever, I don't know. Like I'm not crazy. <laughs> I'm not crazy. <laughs> properties right that's someone else's yeah they'll do it yeah they they got those uh drawings on cardboard in in the in the (laughs) in the gunai so (laughs) they'll they'll figure out a way if they want it (laughs) if they throw enough money at it there are people who would just love to write their phd and figure that stuff out exactly yeah leave that leave that for them other squares (laughs) exactly yeah let us make the work and let them deal with it. exactly i love it and so it looks like he has like some large pieces that were almost like uh, collage, like in part of it. Like uh, I think it's called Inside Vessels. They're on Masonite with screen print and resin. Like describe those to me because hey, those are really interesting. Yeah. Um, I had a lot of fun with those. So I had um, that was part of that exhibition here in Rock Hill. Absolutely. At the Arts Council. They were uh, primed pieces of Masonite. The Masonite was cut out with the CNC router. And then I screen printed over top of them and did a few layers of um, resin and built up. So a layer of resin, a screen print layer, resin, Mm. screen print, resin, screen print. So they have a really subtle kind of soft quality when you're close, but from a little bit further away, they're still punchy with the colors. And those repeat patterns are all selected from Springs Creative Archive. And not, I think they're all from 1920 or earlier. Wow. Wait, later? (laughs) Older. Older. (laughs) So I scanned them at a super high resolution because I wanted to get the the weave from the fabric as well to really replicate that that texture. Yeah, I really like that. That, That's almost taking like some of the stuff you've done in your screen prints to like a different level like it's physically separated instead of just multiple instances of it like on a sheet of paper i think it's going somewhere but i see those four pieces as interesting prototypes for something else like i would really like to do that on like sublimated aluminum Mm. or something just to give it a little more of a rich quality you know the masonite wasn't you can't really tell it's masonite at all which is good because i don't like masonite for many many reasons <laughs> um it was a very good kind of trial run of um of, of future projects of which there are many <laughs> always <laughs> which yeah. you know it's not the way it is right but you have to generate stuff to make stuff that you're happy with. yeah yeah that's it's always like one big process it's funny because um, cause I've gotten into to teaching a lot more than I thought I would, too. And yeah. it was something about how uh, I keep trying to tell students that it's always a next level. You know, whenever yeah. you're doing something and no idea comes out of nowhere, like it's always like you get ideas because you've done something else or you've seen something else. And like, I feel like this is that kind of thing. Like now that you've done it on Masonite, like you see. Right. Or you understand yeah. the possibilities of it a lot more in other ways. That's it. That's it. And then, you know, you're always going to be hindered by things like time and energy and money mm-hmm. and resources. Mm-hmm. But I think we're creative enough to figure it out, even if it has to sit on the back burner for upwards of, of a year. Mm-hmm. Like some of the prints that I finished over the past three months, the Shinkole pieces were from residencies I did two or three years ago, which were unresolved prints on Sakishu or some type of a thin, thin, thin paper. And they just had to sit. I'm like, these are going to do something. They're going to do something great. Just don't know what it is yet. <laughs> just waiting for that next residency. That's all that is. <laughs> you know, you know, Space to space to space, and eventually you're like, yeah, that's that's what I was that's what I was waiting for, and I'm I'm hoping I'm pretty sure other people are like that as well, you know, like the the preciousness of an idea, um, paper, mm-hmm. the right time, yeah. the right place, 
I was really thrilled during that MAPC conference to um, go to the Morgan Paper Conservatory yeah. and just geek out on, oh, yeah, maybe I should make that custom color. Why would I make a, a, you know, buy a pre-made color when I could make my custom color? Like, <laughs> would we become insane to ourselves like to think about doing things like that? And if we really enjoy it, then I don't think it's that insane at all. Nah, not at all. It's almost it's, it's worth the effort just for the journey. You know, what I'm saying whether you get the yeah. color or the paper right or not, like it doesn't kind of doesn't matter <laughs> in the end. It's kind of like I just wanted to do it. <laughs> you know, if I'm gonna yeah, spend my time doing something, these, that's what I want to do. It. That's that's it. Like these these new skills that that we're we're building only benefit our practice and all the practice of people who see what we do as well. Exactly, because it's always passing it on, passing it down, and hopefully people improve on what we do. Exactly. And last, before we get out of here, man, tell me about this, you going out to Mary State to do some printing with the students. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Dean um, Hand invited me to visit um, Murray State University um, to give a lecture and to work for three days with her print students, which I got to meet two of them at MAPC. They came and found me in the crowd, which was amazing. <laughs> selfie thing. Looking forward to working with them. Um I think we're going <laughs> to, what I've proposed for us to do is to incorporate a whole bunch of different meticulous processes <laughs> and for us to maybe work in, in shifts to work on a combination of screen print, monoprint, chincole, embossing, 22 by 30. We're just going to throw the whole print shop at the print <laughs> and kind of react to it as we go. And that's usually how I teach, um, one of my first screen printing classes as well. It's like, I have a general plan. I'm going to bring some positives with me. I've got an idea. I've got some colors in mind, but we're going to react and we're going to go and we're going to see what happens. And because we have so many different brains working on the same print, I'm going to bounce off what they are comfortable doing mm -hmm. and might want to try. They've, they've mentioned a few things like, you're, um, you're, are you flocking your paper to get that texture? Or, or what are you doing? And it's like a puff ink additive. Mm. So they're interested in that. So I'm going to bring that, obviously. So we'll, we'll, we'll play with that. Um, I'm excited to give a, a little lecture, show some work, talk about what the heck I'm doing. Um, but I'm also really excited about the drive. <laughs> so oh, really? <laughs> do like a little pilgrimage for myself. <laughs> I'm going to stop over in Knoxville. Um, Landfall Press is having like a retrospective of all the prints that they made at the contemporary gallery there. Perfect timing because, you know, they're um, uh, based in, in, in Santa Fe, mm -hmm. um, which is now Black Rock mm -hmm. editions. So that'll be for Knoxville. I'll figure something else. So, you know, moonshine and, you know, something fried probably. And then I'll bounce to Nashville. Um, we'll do, is it the Frith Museum? Yeah. And then hopefully some smaller print community type galleries that they have there. Never, I've never been. Never yeah, been. you have been to Hatch, then, the Hatch Show print? Hatch print show. How could I forget yeah. that? Absolutely. Yeah. And they do a good wine, or they used to. Do you remember that? They had like the label Hatch yeah, print yeah, show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do remember that. I do. <laughs> I do remember It was so good. Yeah. And then down to on my way back um, down to Atlanta for at least a night or two been before SGC conference a few years ago mm -hmm. um, but I plan on swinging by the new the new print shop and and whatever else is going on so it's gonna be like an 18 and a half hour round trip drive but if you space it out totally worth it hey yeah and take your time and see all these spots man like that's how you know I do have a job to get back to so I can't <laughs> stay for it's gonna be a really uh, exciting go 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 week because I do love working in different print shops with other people because as you know print is a community sport exactly. and we can't produce what we want to produce without facilities usually two or three pairs of hands you know so or two or three brains yeah so that's why that's why I bounce around quite a bit. I love working with other people. Nah, that makes a lot of sense. Cause uh, out, of, out of the three of us, at least one of us should know what we're doing. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic, man. Yo, it's been great talking to you, man. Great. Get to know you, man. You come down to Atlanta, man. Please let me know so I can, 
like make sure make some time have some lunch with you or something take you around the studio that sounds good. yeah so thank you very much absolutely tell people where they can get in contact with you and see your work ah easiest way is either the website or instagram which is squirrel pigeon fish <laughs> squirrelpigeonfish.com that's another story for another time <laughs> Um, you can just Google it if it all pops up. <laughs> That's what's up. Thank you. Nah, thank you, man. This is Miles Calvert. Print Austin, go check him out. See his work. It's fantastic stuff, yo. And that's it. Another episode of Studio Noise in the Bag. Big shout out to Miles. Big shout out to Print Austin. All the print makers keep doing it. Yes, it's the ink, the paper. I love it. <laughs> keep making them prints. To all my artists out there, all my print makers out there, technology is your friend. We got to embrace it. Don't be scared. They're just the tools that we use, but you're the artist. You got the vision. You make the noise. Yes. It's all you, baby. Keep making that noise. We'll be back with you next week. It's your boy. I'm out. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Studio Noise Podcast. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Please take a second to rate us and write a review to make sure everybody knows about the noise. Follow us on Instagram at Studio Noise Podcast.